Genre Rama, the podcast for fiction writers. It's Genre Rama. Romance monsters, quests, and fighters. It's Genre Rama. Welcome to Genre Rama, a podcast for people who write about monsters, romance, time travel, good old fashioned chases and escapes, and more. I'm your host romance and mystery author Helen Cox. If you want to get started on your next story straight after this episode, check out the free creative writing starter library in the show notes. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Genre Rama. I'm your host, romance and mystery author Helen Cox. And today I'm going to share an interview I conducted with Kick-Ass creator Mark Miller about how to write superheroes. Mark talks about how to best exploit setting, plot and character in that genre and also gives insights into what makes his work translate so well to Hollywood. I'll just flag that when we recorded this interview... One of Mark's daughters was beautifully practicing the piano in the next room for a while. So if you're wondering where all that wonderfully ambient music is coming from, it's the next creative prodigy from the Miller household getting to work. We're going to jump straight into the interview in just a few moments. But before we do, it's imperative that we hear from our fake sponsor. And this week, we've got something for all the romantics out there. I should underline that this service that you're going to hear about is hashtag not a real product. Anybody who tries to sell you this service is an agent of evil and is not to be trusted. Ever wish your blind dates wore more spandex? Do you dream of a partner who is tortured by impossible choices that might influence the fate of the universe? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you need to visit Date the Cape a brand new dating site for superheroes and those who want to buy them a milkshake. Whether you're a super stunner or just want someone who will always be there to catch you when you fall in love or off a skyscraper, Date the Cape will find the perfect match. Visit datethecape.world and fill out your profile today. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. I really appreciate you coming. We're going to be talking to you today about a very exciting topic, one that I'm definitely interested in learning more about, how to write superheroes. One of the questions I really need the answer to is if there's a particular character trait or attribute that's kind of common to all superheroes that when we're writing that kind of story, we should try and engage with or work with. I think that's a really interesting question because I've never been asked that before and I've been doing this since I was 19. But... (laughs) I think the first thing is what is a superhero? Because Superman's a superhero, Spider-Man's a superhero, Captain Kirk isn't, and James Bond isn't, you know? So they're just heroes. So defining what a superhero is, I think is quite interesting. And I think, is it just wearing a costume? Is it a power? Batman doesn't have any powers, but he's a superhero, you know? So like, uh, so it's, it's an interesting one. And we know immediately, we know Flash Gordon isn't a superhero. But... Zorro kind of is, and the Lone Ranger kind of is. So it's so it is odd, you know. Um, so whenever you write them, they all have different approaches because they're all such different types of characters, aren't they? You know. So so for me, a superhero is super means more than doesn't it? So I think a hero is 
you know, Jack Bauer or, you know, Jason Bourne or any of these guys. But a superhero is something more than that. It's something that you, it's, it takes your breath away. It's not like something you would see in a typical movie or in a typical story. Yeah, because I just, I, I, I think you're right, sort of going beyond. And I don't know, I also wondered whether or not the idea of being misunderstood or not being very understood was kind of mm. at the core of quite a few characters in the genre because yeah. they're different in some way. Do you think? They are, and, and what makes them different probably is um, superheroes will tend to do the right thing in a way that regular heroes don't always. Indiana Jones is a hero, but you could not absolutely rely on him to do the right thing and to tell the truth and to save you. Or superheroes generally save you. You know, you, you, they'll, they'll probably succeed. Like if you fall off a building, there's an excellent chance Indiana Jones will fail. He's whip will miss you or something and you're going to die. Aren't you? Whereas Superman or Spider-Man, they'll pretty much always find a way to catch it. Um, and, and I think that's what makes them a little bit different. It's, there's something very hopeful about superheroes. They're, they're more like mythological characters. They're, they're, they, these guys are more like Greek gods than they are like uh, than pulp heroes, for example. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting, the idea of being... Uh, than being people who you know you can rely on to be saved uh, by. I suppose that leads quite nicely into my next question. Dare I ask this <laughs> from the creator of Hit Girl? Um, but how should we approach um, the issue of whether or not a superhero kills in our story? Because I mean, I mean, is it possible to write a truly noble superhero who? will kill it's a brilliant question because and it's the ultimate debate and i i think a superhero is somebody who doesn't kill and i think that's why kick-ass is a superhero and hit girls an assassin who's mm-hmm. dressed like a superhero but a superhero i think values life i mean all of their origin stories tends to be about somebody dying who they love and they promise that's never going to happen if they can help it to anyone ever again, you know? So, like, Superman loses his entire planet. You know, he loses 8 billion Kryptonians. Everybody dies, so it's really sad. And then he's found by an old couple who are in their final 15 years, you know? And, like, and then they die, you know? So superheroes are, are littered with death and their origins. Batman as a child sees a bullet go through each of his parents, so he'll make sure he never kills anyone and nobody will ever be killed on his watch. Spider-Man the same, he's Uncle Ben. He should have stopped that man, you know, but he was too lazy and too selfish to stop him. Who would burgle his uncle's house and kill his uncle, you know? So I think superheroes, their, their origins are really linked in with preserving life. I always think it's really important in all, in all superheroes. I mean, I didn't never really thought it, about it that way, but you're absolutely right that they sort of experience death at a really young age. And because of that, you know, preserving life becomes a core of who they are yeah and it's really interesting you say about the the sort of difference between um kick-ass and hit girl you're you're so right that (laughs) one is sort of going for a more traditional model and the other one is kind of as you say dressed up as a superhero and exhibiting very different behavior but that's you know part of what the dynamic it's so sparky um which you've got to love that so thinking about um the various elements of any story that we might write. Um, I've always wondered about setting when it comes to superheroes, because often they're, they're usually city set. Well, a lot of them are. And I wondered if there was ways of sort of optimizing setting in a superhero story. So not necessarily going for the most cliche. Is there anything that you would recommend when thinking about a setting as a story element? I think I've become really interested in is setting superhero stories, not in New York, because 
everything's either in New York or an approximation of New York. But I get why that happened as well, because there's a cultural shorthand for a global audience. Like, if you, if you set all of your stories in Glasgow, right, if all of them are set in Glasgow, then somebody reading that in South America or Korea or somewhere is like, what's Glasgow like? You know, and, and if even the most famous building in Glasgow as a big set piece at the end of the story is going to kind of mean nothing, you know? But the beauty of Hollywood is that they sold America to every single part of the world. So when I first went to New York, I was like 30 or something, first time I was in New York. And the first time I walked around it, I kind of knew where I was. I, I, I'd seen it in Friends. I'd seen it in everything from sitcoms to movies. And you almost felt as if Spider-Man should be swinging past because it was, it was so integral to these characters. And Marvel Comics was in New York, so they set all of their, their characters in New York. Um, but it is quite interesting when you suddenly are away from Hell's Kitchen or, or the Rockefeller Center or the Empire State Building or one of the places you've seen a million times. So to set a story in Detroit, for example, which I did with one of my things, uh, a thing called MPH, um, was really interesting because... Detroit's an amazing backdrop and it's re- the, the history of the place is really interesting. But then it's been really interesting, the thing I'm doing just now, set in South America. And I've never seen a superhero thing, you know, a big superhero thing set in South America before. Um, setting them in Europe is really fascinating. I did a, a thing, it was a comic called Super Crooks about 10 years ago, which we're doing right now as a Japanese anime show at Netflix. And um, what we did was we thought, well, why does the Joker and the Riddler always go for Gotham City? Whenever Batman's there, you think he's just going to catch you and put you in jail again, you know? So my idea was that they go to Tenerife. And I thought, like, if you go, why not rob Tenerife where there's no superheroes? You know, so super crooks, the story is just set in a place where there's no heroes. And that gave it a totally different flavor. It's all late night bars and sunny weather and everything. And it doesn't feel like any superhero backdrop I've ever seen. So in the same way that nearly all superheroes my entire life have been about 29, been about six foot two, always blue eyes and everything, you know, and, and just a certain look, usually college educated, you know, often scientists, they're quite generic, you know, and I love them, but I do think it's quite interesting to play with it and maybe try something a little different. So when I did a revamp of Kekis a couple of years back, I made it an African-American woman who was a mum, and I'd never seen a mum superhero before. I thought, that's kind of interesting. You know, she's got quite a lot at stake if she's got a couple of kids and everything if things go wrong if her secret identity gets exposed and everything so to different settings different kind of characters it can really make your stuff a lot more interesting so i really recommend playing with that playing around with age playing around with um you know setting could be really cool it's so interesting about the fact that you were talking about a setting and it's lapsed into essentially opportunities for creating greater diversity in mm. in these stories because like you say, you know, they are quite, you know, traditionally they can be quite generic, but that I suppose provides us a lot of opportunity, not just with setting, but with all other elements um, to think about how we might twist them. And I think that is the great thing about a genre once it's been established is that that's great. And then you can actually twist it and reinvent it from there. So yeah. sort of thinking about that, when it comes to themes, you've already sort of mentioned life and death. And I wonder if there's any other themes that sort of offer really ripe potential in superhero narratives are the ones in particular that you think are quite compelling when you're dealing with these kind of characters? Yeah, I mean, they tend to be coming of age stories and and people pulling their socks up. I mean, that's kind of what superhero stories tend to be. It's like somebody who's taken an odd path in life, getting it together and actually making themselves live the fullest potential. 
And that's in a lot of my stuff, but I think it's that's classic hero mythology, isn't it? You know? So instead of being a farm boy in Tatooine, you go and learn the force and you become a Jedi, you know? And and that's that's the classic superhero journey, isn't it? You know, so so kick ass is that kick ass is a kid who is bored at school, daydreaming about superheroes, and then thinks, you know what? Being a superhero is a lot more exciting than reading about it. You know, I could actually go and do this. And Exit in Kingsman as well, you know, like he's a kid who has gone from smoking dope and watching James Bond on a bank holiday Monday to actually being in an elite spy agency and dropped out of foreign countries and, you know, killing people and all that, you know? So, so it's like, I think superheroes tend to have that thing as well. You know, it tends to be somebody empowering themselves in some way. And by the end of their first story, they're the person that they set out to be. So Tony Stark's a great example. It's not that he's a dweeb or anything at the beginning of it. He's an arms dealer. He's like a, quite a bad person. You know, he's, he's, he's a merchant of death, really. And he makes money out of selling weapons around the world. But he learns to be a hero. And in the next movie, he's making money in more ethical ways, you know. So superhero stories are about self-improvement. I think that's the underlying thing that's in every single one of them. Superman's an orphan who didn't have a penny. He was wrapped in a blanket and stuck in a rocket and fired off into space. And he makes himself into the best person on the world that he goes to. You know, so he's, he's the ultimate immigrant success story, isn't it? Superhero stories are all about self-improvement. Likewise, orphans is another big thing. Batman, murdered, parents murdered when he's eight years old, but he turns himself into the coolest guy in Gotham City. Um, so I, I kind of like that. You know, I think it's, it's a good thing for kids to do. And it sort of goes back to what you were saying about them being emblems of hope as well. Yeah. And there's so much tied up there thematically in terms of destiny and identity. There was just countless stories you can tell yeah. on that theme depending on which character you choose to follow mm. on that theme so yeah. yeah it's really really interesting and I wonder so thinking about the fact that there are these kind of expectations within the genres there are any genre that you might write in are there any plot lines that you feel have just been overdone now and we sort of need to say okay they've been done let's avoid those and yeah. you know do something else is there any way of a, what what steps should we take to avoid things that have perhaps been a bit overdone and which things would you say those are um i have to think about them as a you know i guess the the classic structure of hero gets powers villain gets powers around the same time they fight the hero loses they fight a second time and the hero ultimately triumphs that was the first 10 years of superhero movies of this current era, you know, 2000 to 2010 in a lot of cases. But it was also necessary. It was getting a little boring and it was eventually by numbers a little bit, especially as the decade was going on. But it was so essential. I mean, it had to be. And I know people, when they watch those movies, now complain that they're a little bit formulaic, you know, that the first third is them getting their powers and testing their powers out. But you'll never understand it unless it's laid out simply for you as well. So... I do remember people thinking a superhero movie 20 years ago was a really risky proposition for Hollywood. Um, and they were like, you know, nobody's into this stuff. Nobody understands it. So they had to go really simple and they had to make it really straightforward. So I think even the things that seem tired now were absolutely essential back then. But what's really cool is that now the audience is so literate in superhuman storylines and, and the narrative structure of superhero stories that they're now sophisticated as the comic fans who've read this stuff all their life. So something like Infinity War or Infinity Gauntlet or whatever, you know, any of these uh, Avengers Endgame, um, 
that would have been unthinkable. Even even 10 years ago, that would have been unthinkable because it's so complex, isn't it? You know, to, to tie together eight or nine movie franchises you know, into one film and cross-reference every single one of the movies that have been before, and then do a time jump storyline in it that goes back and references scenes you may remember from 10 years ago. Anyway. And all, all of that is bread and butter in comics. Um, but it was actually amazing to, to see on screen because it's so bold to try something like that. Um, but we would never have been able to do it if we hadn't had all the tropes already laid out, all the groundwork done. Um, and what's really cool is you can have guys like Taika Waititi and James Gunn and hopefully ourselves and everybody coming in and subverting expectation because of that. So I do think that creatives rise to the challenge. So I think that nobody's doing anything anymore that does seem tired. Everybody's pushing in very different directions. So one division, for example, um, is unlike anything that, that's out there. Jupiter's Legacy is completely unlike anything. You know, our show that starts from May the 7th is unlike anything that's been out so far. You know, half of it's set in 1929, which is really weird, you know, in a superhero show for a big modern audience. I mean, this is going to be Netflix's biggest show. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge thing. And it's a superhero thing set in 1929 for, for 50% of it. Um, and... It's all about the origin of the human species and it goes 10 million years into the future at the end of it and everything, you know. So so it's, it's we can do things now we could never have imagined when we first started hearing about the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and everything 20 years back. So it's really about, as writers, accepting now that um, people understand superhero narratives and in order to... Um, surprise or delight them we need to think beyond just the traditional expectations and yeah, think yeah. about how we can introduce something delightful the same way that you did Tenerife <laughs> in the last story so just thinking about other other elements that we can bring in that that perhaps don't fit the mold the traditional mold but I think that's the same with all writing you know that the trek and write and the success in writing comes from giving people something they've never seen before. Mm. People think formula works, but formula really doesn't work. And people often say to me, what is it that makes all your stuff translate to Hollywood? You know, that everything I'll do ends up as a Hollywood thing. And I always say to people, don't try and do something that feels like a Hollywood thing because you'll fail. What you have to do is do something that you're really into and, and it's funny to you and it's interesting. And if you look at the independent comics, like my stuff that get translated into movies or television shows, they're very much their own beasts. Like, look at Hellboy or Ghost World or 300 mm. or any of these things, you know, like Sweet Tooth, uh, which is Jeff Lemire's book that's coming out of Netflix. You know, that's about a, a boy that's a half-human fawn, you know, like a, de- a half-human deer, you know? And it's like, that's that doesn't seem to me like somebody who's trying to get a Hollywood deal or anything. He's just doing a book that he finds interesting. And I think all success comes from not imitating Harry Potter, but to be as fresh as Harry Potter seems whenever Joe Rowling sat down and wrote Harry Potter. So true. Yeah, imitation just doesn't really cut it when it comes to making a striking impression on somebody who, if it's a movie, if we're talking about yeah. movie money, you know, it's not it's not a small investment. Yes. <laughs> they have to be wowed by uh, how interesting and striking it is. And you sort of dropped a few hints through the interview. It's just been really interesting to hear all your perspe- different perspectives on the different elements of storytelling. But to round off, um, you, you have to tell us what you're working on right now now as much as you can and uh, what we can expect from you in the near future because I'm sure it's going to be really great models for us as writers. Well my career's been a, an odd one you know like uh, I, I, I worked at 2008 when I was a teenager and then I worked at DC Comics who do Superman and Batman and everything in my 20s 
Marvel all through my first season, had a lot of really big books at Marvel that then sort of took me into Hollywood unexpectedly. I mean, I'm a guy who lives in Scotland. I never dreamed of working in Hollywood. It, it just seemed, how do you do that? You know, what's the step? But they were making a lot of my Marvel books into uh, Hollywood movies. And then they said to me, have you got anything else? You know, any of your own stuff? And Stan Lee um, gave me the advice personally. You know, he said, I think you'd be really good at creating your own stuff. He said, you should do West Marvel, do more of your own stuff. And that, because he said, that's what he did. And I would say this to everyone that there's the fan part of you that just wants to write the stuff you grew up with. You want to write Superman or Spider-Man or whatever. And it's really fun to do that. You know, something you love. It's a bit like playing that stuff again as a kid, isn't it? You know, you're getting to imagine what it's like to be Batman or something. So that's wonderful. But Stan said that he never did that. He created the Marvel Universe. He didn't do Superman or Tarzan or the stuff he did. He went off and created stuff. And it was the best advice I was ever getting. You know, it was so cool. So I went off and I created Kick-Ass and Wanted and Kingsman and everything, you know, and, and I sold that company to Netflix, my wife and I about three and a half years ago. And then we took on staff jobs separately to that as executives. So we now run kind of like Pixar or Marvel at Disney. We are our own division within Netflix. Um, and we have God, 20 franchises we're working on, you know, in various stages of development, you know. So there's some of them are movies. Some of them are big television shows. Others are animated. Um, and it's just so fun. It's awesome. You know, the very first thing that will be coming out is Jupiter's Legacy, like I say, on May the 7th which is like Game of Thrones with superheroes. You know, it's a big grand operatic superhero thing. It's awesome. You know, I've done nothing but watch it since October for the final edits and everything. It's, it's so great. And uh, just making little tweaks every day. And um, the next one that we're filming, actually, I can, oh, no, we can see the the next one that's coming out will be Super Crooks, which is a, an anime thing we're doing with our Japanese division. Um, we're doing a thing in South America called American Jesus, uh, a horror thing, which is kind of like, the omen for Jesus kind of thing. It's about a little kid who finds out that he's the return of Jesus Christ. Um, doing a thing called the Magic Order in Los Angeles uh, later this year, doing a big spy project. Um, and I, I think there's a couple more. There's a new Kingsman film coming out at uh, the end of this year. And I'm doing a thing called Starlight with Fox, which is my tribute to kind of Buck Rogers and all those old Republic movie serials and everything. Um, hopefully get that filming quite soon as well, you know. So so it's kind of busy, you know. I mean, the great thing that about almost what, sounds like enough to keep you out of mischief, almost, but not quite. I would not say. quite. You know, I'll, I'll always find room for mischief. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know it, it, enough, but maybe not quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just this year, which is crazy. But you know, I, I'm so bored because we can't go out. You know, we're, we're actually just stuck in the house. So I, I think I'm working about 30% more than I usually work. So I'm getting through tons of stuff. I, I'm sure you're finding it and everybody listening to this the same. There's nothing else to do, but right? You can only watch TV for so long. You have to go and write something. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll make sure to link uh, to those projects in the show notes so people can easily find them when they're out. Thank you so much for all your wisdom, Mr. Miller. I'm very, I'm surprisingly wise, surprisingly wise. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll leave it on that note. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Before we round off today's episode, I just want to leave those of you planning to get straight down to writing in this genre with a few questions and prompts inspired by this week's interview. Number one. Why does your superhero want to save people? What happened in their story that really underlined to them how precious life is? If they haven't learned that lesson yet, how will they? 
Number two, make a list of places where superhero stories are less frequently set. If you can, come up with places where superhero stories have never been set. Then select one from the list and think about how that setting could be exploited for either comedy or drama. For example, what if superheroes came to a small rural village or what if they flew around Berlin? Number three, what are the limitations of your superhero's powers? Do they come from scientific or magical sources? The limitation on your superhero's powers will provide an opportunity for conflict as the villain sets impossible tasks or invents scenarios in which it's impossible for the hero to win out. And number four, how can you serve a hero literate audience and show them a new story dynamic they haven't seen before? Just a small one to finish off on. That's it for this week's episode. Join me for episode three, which is a sister episode to episode two, when I'll be talking to James Peaty about writing lessons learned from Superman 1978. Until then, I'll see you next time. Genre Rama, the podcast for fiction writers. It's Genre Rama. Romance monsters, quest and fighters. It's Genre Rama.